This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Reports. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And welcome to your weekly dose of alt-right propaganda and neoliberal... Sorry, is that you, Adrian? What's another word for propaganda? Who's joining me in studio today? <laughs> yeah, well, well, welcome to it. Welcome to the alt-right Jew and the alt-right uh, um, uh, French Arab. Arab French, please. Yeah. Arab French. You know, it, has, it doesn't actually... It, it, it's just... It's such an obvious... Slur to 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 call to, me a French Arab to use this whole alt right thing and go everyone I disagree with is alt right basically. Well, I'm going to use it. Uh, so if you're going to call me alt right, go ahead. If you believe in uh, property rights, freedom of speech and association, a market economy, and the rule of law, and you say that's alt right, I'm alt right. Yeah, this is this is the the actual problem because well, of course, words don't matter and definitions don't mean anything anymore, especially when you've embraced the Marxists head on and and you just feel postmodernism is the way forward. Um, lots of important stuff happening in the country. Uh, most importantly, of course, is the fact that the government wants to take your stuff, uh, and it's not just your land. Right. So they're going to steal your stuff and then say it's revolutionary. Mm. Um, that's the excuse for it And obviously we know that's not true They just want to steal your stuff Like it's that simple Doesn't matter what the, the What you call it The intentions are um, If a robber comes up and says Give me your purse We don't care what he's going to do with it mm. We just care that he's going to steal Well, Jonathan has a purse I don't I have a wallet Like a real man I do not have a purse But anyway That's what the ANC is wanting to do there, Steal your stuff There's some fake news Right So to get into the stuff, and I think um, what will probably be quite a hard-hitting and uh, maybe a bit somber conversation because it's pretty serious and it's with a man who uh, knows a lot of these things is uh, none other than Franz Cronier, who has been on the podcast before. Um, welcome, Franz. Uh, Roman, Jonathan, it's good to be back. It's lovely to have you, as always. Well, I mean, the players all are. So we have a, a, a boatload of new followers or listeners these past uh, few months uh, because we are, the, uh, in case you didn't know, France, we are the number one podcast in the country last week. So for those who might not know you, I think it's very important just to state who you are and what do you do? Uh, I work for a think tank, a group uh, called the IRR, the Old South African Institute of Race Relations, established in the 1920s to work towards South Africa's future as a free and open society, one that respects primacy of a market economy, uh, property rights, the rule of law. It rose to become the most uh, prominent uh, globally think tank in the fight against apartheid. It's today a team of around 25 uh, full-time um, analysts, um, lobbyists, uh, media experts, and we fight very hard for the idea that South Africa's future needs to be one in which you can decide how you want to live, that you've got the right to accumulate wealth and property, that you can make your own decisions about how you access health care, where you send your children to school. We oppose very aggressively the idea that the state should be allowed to intervene in your life and dictate how you're going to live. And our ethos, developed over decades, forged in 
in very tough circumstances. Our method is that if you want to win these fights, you've got to win the battle for public opinion. It's called battle of ideas theory, that the winner in any fight for public opinion, in any policy fight, is the side that injected the greatest volume of compelling argument into the public domain. It is ultimately futile to revert to the courts or to other forms of civil activism if you cannot show the political establishment in the country that the tide of public opinion has turned profoundly against them. So much of our efforts are directed at introducing into the mainstream media compelling arguments for a market economy, for property rights, for freedom of speech, and for the rule of law. We're probably the single biggest source by some stretch of those arguments that do get into the mainstream. Well, only because they ignore us, to be fair. <laughs> how, how, so what I want to know is, is how much more difficult has that become over the past decade or so? Because it would seem to me that 10, 15 years ago, these ideas uh, of people living the way they want to live without the government interfering, uh, people actually aspiring to be able to choose where their kids go to school and send them to a good school uh, or choose the health care they want. Those were not right-wing, inverted commas, ideas. These were very straightforward, very simple things, things you'd expect to hear from a former president like Nelson Mandela. Um, and now I feel like everyone is playing the same tune and we, we're all playing the socialist sort of tune. Our media is doing it. Uh, to a large extent, there's, it's a, there's, they're banging that drum, and there seems to be a hell of a lot of pushback to what are, in my opinion, basically classically liberal ideas. Yeah, well, we're a classically liberal think tank. That's, to a great extent, been our experience. I think globally we, we know that we've seen that over the past 20 to 30 years. Uh, South Africa's imported off American university campuses of some very bad and dangerous ideas. I think that what you might see as a sort of neo-Marxist left has done spectacularly well in shaping public opinion and capturing uh, platforms of influence and has fed vast volumes of what amounts to very bad ideas into the field of public opinion and that they've had extraordinary influence as a result. And we see that around the world. And we certainly see that in South Africa in terms of uh, the, the policy of expropriation without compensation. We'll probably talk about that uh, in a bit. The National Health Insurance Scheme is essentially a proposal to expropriate the private healthcare industry in the country. A lot of what passes as empowerment uh, legislation and policy in the country is, is the same thing, an attempt to extort wealth under duress and with the threat of throwing around accusations of racism and the like against those who work so hard in our society to try and build a better South Africa. And, and, and why is it that we, there seems to be such support for these? I understand why the ANC has this, the support. I understand the, the, the background. We can get into that when we get into the EWC thing itself and, and why we've ended up here. But why do we have newspaper editors um, journalists en masse uh, supporting this? Is it ignorance? 
The only group we need to blame is ourselves. I've, wherever I've got that question, I've said I don't begrudge at all the success that the relative left have had in capturing media platforms and the like and using those to infiltrate their ideas into the battle of ideas. The other side of the debate has not been as good. It hasn't been bold enough. Its strategies haven't been strong enough. And it hasn't been able to raise, importantly, the money and the resources in order to counter this drift of policy and turn the battle into a, into a true battle. Um, that That is where the weakness rests. And the damning thing and the frustrating thing is, is we're in a position to do quite a bit of polling. And we're able to see in the polling that mainstream public opinion, the sort of default position of the average South African, if there is such a chap, is actually pretty good, moderate, middle of the road. The only reason that these ideas are gaining any traction is because the other side of the battle have infiltrated such vast volumes of these ideas into public domain. To a certain extent, typical advertising and marketing strategy comes into play here. If you tell someone a thing often enough, they may begin to believe it. At the same time, the relative left in the battle have been able to intimidate voices that wish to introduce alternative opinions and silence them. And there's a very big silent majority that you pick up in the mainstream. If you fill a hall, as, as recently happened here, with desperately poor people and rile them up with racial nationalist fervor and ask them if they want a free farm, what answer are you going to get? You, there is only one. You might as well ask them if they'd like the country's national reserves and then throw open the doors of the vaults when they say yes. The the failing on our side, and we, we fought this thing very hard over 20 years, but we might have done much better, is that we haven't tapped into the most powerful resource that there is, which is the ordinary guy out there. That person, that individual who sits and listens to this feels that he's being battered daily, listens to mainstream radio and is insulted from morning, from sunrise to sunset, reads newspaper headlines that berate the middle classes mm -hmm. and employers as a greedy elite who cause poverty in the country, berate property owners and farmers as, as land thieves, murderers and rapists who stole their properties and are the reason the black majority are poor. We've never tapped into that guy, and we've never given him a chance to take the first step back towards taking control. And that step is now a practical step that's available for the first time, something I so regret that I didn't do 10 years ago, 15 when I started this, is we've given that guy an opportunity to become a friend of the IRR. By becoming a friend, all that that means is you take you. It, it's what it in effect is is you take a decision, and you before you do this, sit back and think about that decision, that you're sick and tired of this, and you're not going to tolerate it anymore, and you're going to get into the fight to make your voice heard. I have teams of some of the bravest people in the country that fight these battles on your behalf every day, but we need your help. And the help we need is that people make a small contribution. They can choose what it is. One chap said that he's going to put in 20 rand a month to us. And that guy, is, what he's done is far more heroic than so much of South Africa's prosperous elite, who when we used to hit them up for money would tell us they cannot get involved. Thousands of those people 
multiplied together. Give us the resources to fight this thing more strongly on behalf of the friends. And if we can tap deeply enough into that mainstream majority, who, 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 who all they want is the chance to decide how they want to live, raise their children in safe communities, send them to good schools, access high-quality uh, medical uh, uh, services, uh, see their children become successful, own property and accumulate assets and wealth. If they put us in a position to fight harder, we start knocking back the other side of this debate. And when that happens, we'll embolden more voices to join us. And in time, we can become the predominant influence on public opinion. And when that happens, and believe us on this, we fought far more difficult battles through the apartheid era. When we turn public opinion on this thing, then we break the back of the leftist influence. Mm. And we open the way post-South Africa's next crisis for reforms and a new policy framework that will reflect the ideas that we have articulated. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So this, when we started this podcast, we were, we felt like we were two, two isolated people on social media just talking about these ideas and no one, and got attacked mercilessly for them over mm-hmm. a number of years. So, so we had a dare to actually, um, uh, start a podcast and we did. And what we found out is by just actually being ourselves on this platform, we have a, a community has, been accumulating around the podcast itself and the ideas expressed a far bigger one than we ever expected for that matter and by so we also have like a sort of crowdfunding model which uh, people help out with and we use that for marketing the podcast but if you give someone a platform that shows to their friends that their views are not in, you know, made in isolation, that these views are consistent with good evidence, good data, good logic. Uh, those people are far more persuasive than <clears throat> people sitting in the lounge and not speaking to anyone because they're too afraid of stating their opinion. Yeah, and your guy's success, as you regularly tell your listeners, you are the most popular <laughs> thing out there, is exactly in line with what we know about popular opinion. Yeah. It is not hard left. It is actually pragmatic and middle of the road. And if you give someone, if you encourage someone, Natan Sharansky says that knowing that Reagan was there made it so much easier in the gulag for them. And if you create that platform, you guys have done a very important thing in doing that. If you create that platform, you will embolden people, firstly, to start realizing they're not alone. You, if, if you look at national health insurance, mm. which is going to make your doctor a civil servant, and chase him out of the country. Yeah. And you think this is crazy. And you look at a policy where, where a, a state that routinely abuses its people says we will take all property rights over and then we will liberate you. And you think this stuff is nuts. You're not the crazy one. Yeah. Comfortably eight out of ten South Africans agree with you. Mm-hmm. Most poor South Africans agree with you. The only people that disagree with you are those who are so rich and so prosperous and sit in such high glass towers. Doesn't matter to that, them. That they've totally taken leave of the realities around mm-hmm. them in the country. And you've got to create those platforms, one, and then you've got to put people on the platform, such as many of my colleagues, who will stand up and say this is nonsense. It is as much nonsense as it sounds. There is no way on earth that expropriation without compensation liberates a single black person from anything mm-hmm. or frees him from the, from the uh, long-term hangover, so still so present, of having lived for 50 years under abuse of apartheid rule. Create the platform 
put the message out there plainly, and you will embolden the next guy to take that first step towards at least supporting you. And after that, you, this thing snowballs. Why do the dictators shoot the intellectuals and burn the books? Because they know how powerful mm. an idea is that takes root. Biko questioned by a judge. Um, the judge says to him uh, uh, about black consciousness, what is this and so on. And Biko brilliantly later asks the judge a question. He says, what's the matter, my lord? Are you afraid of an idea? And, of course, they were. They were terrified. The Nats were terrified of it, and they murdered Biko, and the ANC was terrified of it, so they murdered his idea. Just, uh, you know, we talk on this podcast often, we reference certain people that we think have great ideas. Uh, Nicholas Taleb uh, has the, the, he's got three great ideas that that he's put out there, I would say, and, and, and two of those are um, the... Uh, power of the minority, the, the 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 loud minority, the vocal minority, to have incredible influence over people, um, and they this can happen. We've discussed it before, even at the level of families and friends, where there's one vegetarian and the whole family becomes a vegetarian, and then you, the people you socialize with become vegetarians, and and so that's a tyranny of the minority. And no offense to the vegetarians, but just to ex- explain the idea, um, and the other the other thing that 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 we, which is in his latest book is Skin in the Game, uh, which is I think what you talk about. You know, when you'd speak about the, the sort of prosperous people who couldn't care less, the people who have all their money offshore already, they own several properties in South Africa, but if they lose them, no big deal. Um, and they have no skin in the game. They've got nothing to lose here. The middle class arguably have the most to lose. And the lower class will stay lower class. So they also have a fair amount to lose because they lose their potential future. Well, the middle class will just join them. Well, both, both, both the middle classes and the poor stand to lose such a lot. The middle classes, the status they've worked so hard to reach. And if you're a poor uh, chap uh, sitting in a shack on a sand dune outside Cape Town today, if we do not win this fight, you lose any prospect ever to get out of that shack. Um, and, and that's a tragedy for the country. And, um, but this is a fight that can be won. What's the difference between us and Venezuela? Or us and, and Zimbabwe. It's not the, the ruling elite. They're the same. It's not the wealthy elite. They're just as indifferent mm-hmm. to the position we'll get into. There is one difference, and that is the chap who listens to the show. What, what, what ultimately went fatally wrong in Zim and in Venezuela is not that the government was malicious. That must be taken as uh, expected. That's a yeah. default position. It's that ordinary people were slow to react. They did not organize themselves, and they did not realize the immense power that they have in order to challenge the battle of ideas uh, framework and win it. The battle of ideas is fought by very small numbers of people, but it's directed at very large numbers of people. And it's only if your battle of ideas infrastructure is in place and you're winning that battle that your other resources, such as the courts or voting or other forms of civil activism, fall into place as well. The the the, the appalling positions adopted of late of the Democratic Alliance show this so clearly. An important opposition resource that's meant to fight for us and for common sense, losing its way entirely, joining, in fact, the other side of the debate – 
We lose it as a resource. The reason is the broader battle of ideas framework is going against us. We've drawn that line in the sand. We're going to fight this thing. We think we can win it. We've won it before in, 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 in this country, and with the support of ordinary people, we can win it again. Mm. A point made by uh, Dr. Schreiber on here a few weeks ago where he says, you know, a political majority is not a problem just due to for a political purpose. They can create a cultural hegemony around ideas. They, they shift the Overton window to their terms of engagement and then you have to fight them on their ground and you always lose. And we see that in politics now. So the ANC have tried to outmaneuver the EFF, even though EFF is part of them, and the DA have moved to the ANC. They said, no, we agree with empowerment. Mm. Whereas they could just say, no, we don't agree with empowerment because it will happen anyway through economic growth. They could do that, but they haven't done so. Um, so the point I was trying to make is, yes, to break that cultural, political, social hegemony of the ANC uh, is, well, it's not going to happen, as you said, through politics or through the courts. It will have to be people like us doing what we do and combining resources to do so. Yeah, a lot of people say to me, are you positive or negative about the future? And I've always said those terms don't really apply. Hmm. And they say, will it work out for the best or not? And, And my stock answer now is that depends on you and what you're going to do. If you're going to remain isolated and alone, frightened and powerless, you're going to lose this thing. Have no doubt. This ends like Venezuela and Zimbabwe. It doesn't end any other way. You you, you do not take away property rights and and end in a good place. And it's not just Venezuela and Zimbabwe. There are tens of examples over the decades. Well, there's Um, Tanzania on this this continent alone. There's there's dozens. That's where it's going. If you want to stop it, you get into the game, and then we have a chance. And, in fact, a very good chance because that first step that you take is the first step that the guy behind you is going to take as well because he's going to follow your example. It is such a powerful theory, this. Mm. And uh, if if I'm encouraged about where we might be going, it is because I think the state – and the elites have played their hand too early. We've got the precedent of Zimbabwe to the north. We've got the precedents around the world of other societies that have moved this way. And there are groups like the two of you who are organizing and building platforms. And that is starting to set us apart mm. from some of the others. Yeah, you know, sometimes when the polling says you have a 2% chance of winning, you know, a really great prize you end up winning that really great prize and your competitor who has a 98% chance doesn't win. So um, let's talk the specifics about expropriation without compensation. I don't think it's given the fair treatment in the media in the sense of the understanding behind what informs this. So the common narrative is the ANC has a conference in 2017 uh, on, if you have any uh, uh, sort of concept of of the ANC and what they've been doing, they have had in the two previous conferences, land ex- expropriation without compensation has actually been brought up. It just kind of got quashed. Um, but that's 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 even a little bit more um, uh, ahistorical in a way because the ANC has been dealing with this concept since the what the fifties. And and so so where do how do we get to the point now where we have a government that wants to remove property rights from the constitution and believes this is in fact the right thing to do? Well, let's go back as you say, 1912, the ANC, a moderate conservative movement, suspends its liberation demands in the 1940s in support of Smuts's efforts in the Second World War. 
Smuts loses in 48. The Nats come to power. Defining feature of the Nats was, was enormous stupidity. And they hound this movement into the arms of the East Germans and the Soviets. In 1962, the Communist Party accepts the thesis of national democratic revolution that you must dispossess elites in order to liberate the poor, essentially. And they sell this idea to the ANC at a conference in Morogoro in Tanzania in 1969. From 69, essentially, to 1991, the ANC moves harder and harder to the left, at odds with its early origins, people forget. 1991, a reformation is, is – the, the argument on this is split within my team, but I think a, 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 river, a reformation of sorts occurred. Mandela appears at Davos, jettisons the hard left, tells the world Afro-socialist policies have failed, lends his gravitas to Mbeki to drive the gear strategy, which but for internal contradictions was – Mainly common sense, market economy, property rights, and the rule of law. And South Africa did very well on the back of gear, uh, something that the people around, uh, I think some in the ANC government, but South Africans in the main, uh, don't know and forget. 2007, is ejected, and the relative left, seething with resentment that they'd been isolated since 91, take back control of the levers of policy power. Since 2007, my analysts track 35 Examples where through policy or regulation or legislation, the ANC sought to dilute property rights in the country. What happened in December was a continuation of a firmly established pattern of policy. One intervention stacked on top of another. Think of those Russian dolls. That's what was happening. And what Ramaphosa's announcement, most recently the television one, that we will go ahead and do this, is the culmination of a of an of an era, the modern origins of which you can take back to at least 2007. In parallel with that, there was a second process, which was the propaganda assault against the middle classes and the propaganda assault against farmers. The purpose of propaganda, that you, you're an elite, you stole your wealth, you don't deserve it, the fact that you're middle class is, is the reason that black people are poor. Propaganda always has a purpose. It's stigmatization. And the purpose of stigmatization is to make you the other so that the society loses the ability to empathize with you so that when the politicians turn on you and attack you, no one will come to your defense. These are parallel processes. They are very sophisticated. And the manner in which they've played out over the past decade is absolutely clear and leads us directly to the point we are at today. So no one must try and convince you that this is something that happened in December. It's a short-term stratagem. Mr. Ramaphosa mm. is deeply opposed to it. And if he does well in the next election, it will all go away. It is not going to happen. No, but it appears that the EFF was the propaganda arm of the ANC all along based on that theory. It appears to be because uh, from the right from the beginning, Malema himself was quite uh, anti-white, very racist rhetoric, especially against or opposition. Malema was very useful. Um, it, it, yeah, it, or, even if it wasn't, uh, or maybe yeah. it's a plan all along. Just saying. So this won't end, France. EWC is not something that we want, not something that we have planned to do at all. Uh, Cyril is not, you know, just because he has a nice accent doesn't make him our friend. Unfortunately, I think there is a soft bigotry on the expectations about uh, our president at the moment because he speaks better English than. And he also goes for walks on the promenade. Well, he used to, not anymore. I've noticed. Um, He used to. So. The only way to fight is what? And don't think that if you're not a farmer, this doesn't affect you. And and don't think that if you've got a very poor little farm, that this doesn't affect you either. 
This is incrementalism at play, the thin end of the wedge. The historical connotations to land ownership in South Africa, the historical denial of those rights to black South Africans is being exploited in the most cynical way to set a precedent to erode property rights generally. And as soon as that precedent is accepted and executed, if the most sandy and rocky scrub felt in the Northern Cape is expropriated without compensation, and that you find yourself on that list, we can talk a bit about lists as well today. Let's do. And if, if, even if, you, if, if that happens to some poor chap in some hovel in the Northern Cape, expect that it will one day happen to you. Your property rights are like being pregnant. You are or you aren't. Mm-hmm. You don't have them halfway. Yeah. And the, 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 the ruling party, the current administration, will proceed with trying to set the precedent as quietly as possible and then leverage it and expand it to other sectors. In that respect, everywhere we're going and talking now, we're saying to the, crowd, to the, to the people who attend, and, and we've had some pretty big attendances, that in all many respects, every South African is a commercial farmer today. We are in the same boat. Well, it, it does make sense. You, you use propaganda against commercial farmers. Not many people know commercial farmers personally. They're sort of a, you know, something out there in the, in the bush. You don't see them. Uh, you take them out. And then that's just land. And then, but what about, oh, there's unused money. That's unused. The revolution needs it. What about your unused car collection? What about your unused this? These are all examples of property. It never was about land at all. And, and they're some, trying to tell that story through this podcast. There's some very silly, there's some very silly commentators around who talk from their own relatively elite positions, uh, perhaps in the sociology department Professors at, at, at a university. And say that they think that dispossessing commercial farmers is an excellent thing because it will bring social justice and peace and democracy and unicorns and cupcakes to South Africa. And what is the difference, say to that chap, between the fact that he owns a house in Parktown North? Where is the boundary that sets the commercial farming space aside from Parktown North? Where is that line where expropriation starts and stops? Why, if you think it is right to dispossess a farmer of his livelihood and his pension, why do you think you're entitled to your property and to your pension? You're in a slightly different business. That is the only thing. And it's disgraceful the extent to which these rich elites from on high, people who have never set foot on a farm, wouldn't do it say that they think that this is the right thing to do. And what makes it even worse, and in fact exceptionally racist, is the idea of rich elites, including many whites, who think the best thing that can happen to poor blacks is to give them a hectare of scrub land somewhere in the Northern Cape where they can eke out a living. Those guys who've been on the back end of such horrific abuse in this country deserve the chance to live a modern urban lifestyle and get a house in Parktown North as well. And if you become a country without property rights, you cut off the investment, regardless of what Mr. Ramaphosa says, that makes possible the growth to create the wealth and opportunities to pull large numbers of black South Africans out of a life of of rural hell and bring them to cities where they, and certainly later their children, can ascend to the middle classes. Um, it is it that this argument on expropriation is entertained at all mm. on serious platforms is disgraceful. 
and that elites advance the argument is even worse. And they need to be called out on that, and they need to be asked to explain what is the difference between the life that you live as a sociology professor at a university with a house and a pension and how you got there and the chap who sits on his farm uh, slaving from sunrise to sunset in order to feed our country, create some life in the rural economy, employ people, invest and build a better future. Yeah. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I, that. That, I think we should just cut that out <laughs> as a single podcast by itself. Um, the, the, so two sides to that. One is that absolutely the, the slippery slope of expropriation without compensation will never apply to one group of land, to just a few farms, to just the farms, to just the farms and the commercial ventures we like, to just the farms the commer- and all the commercial ventures, to the farms, the commercial ventures, and the wealthy residential properties. It, it doesn't, it's, it's a completely slippery slope. But the other side that we're seeing already is the economic impact of even just threatening property rights. So we have a situation where foreign direct investment has dropped to the point that Cyril is now selling us out to the Chinese more so than before. We are trying to get money from those lovely friends of ours in Saudi Arabia, you know, those great protectorates of human rights. Um, and over and above that, we have farmers, to, to my knowledge and from my sources, who are Considering whether they should seed for next year, just in case you aren't aware, farming is not the most lucrative way um, to spend your time or your life. Uh, and farmers who are looking at this going, do I spend several millions of rands to seed the ground? Do I take those loans so that I can try and grow maize or whatever it is I sell next year? Taking the risk that my farm might not be mine and I will then be left in a really difficult position, do I seed? And so, so now we're already, without having even had one farm taken yet, we already put ourselves in the, in the risk of having not enough food within just a year. But it's much broader than that. I mean, we're suffering extraordinary damage as a result just of the discussion around this. Um, the, our, our first quarter GDP negative 2.2%. Second quarter is going to be catastrophic. Mm. 50-50 odds on us being in recession and, 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 and showing negative growth performance uh, for the first half of the year. Emerging markets this year will grow at an average of 4.9%. South Africa, if it's lucky, is going to grow at 1%. And there are lots of reasons for that. But, but the key reason is the totally counterproductive policies of the government. And the price that people pay for that is immense. Middle classes pay the price to a certain extent, but the poor pay it most severely. If you think of that poor chap sitting on a shack on a sand dune that cannot get off it because the country cannot get the economic momentum going to create an opportunity for him. And you think back to the leftist activists that defended and fought for and advocated for the policies. They are directly responsible for the reason that that chap is sitting in a shack today and they are the reason he's going to stay in that shack for the immediate period ahead of us as well. So, France, so, I mean, I think we, 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 you have quite, uh, proven quite well that the average person is moderate, centrist, uh, wants, um, socioeconomics to improve for himself, uh, or herself and their family. Just, just to say there's data for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot, data. a lot of data for <laughs> that, a lot of data for that. Um, why, I mean, is, is the culture, 
downstream from politics or the other way around? Why don't our political choices reflect those moderate views? Well, political choices reflect a number of things. I think voters are in many respects more intelligent than they're given credit for. Uh, life for a lot of black South Africans and um, – Given the history, it's important sometimes to take them out and study study the trends that affected them as a group. It's much better today than it was 20 years ago, mainly on the back of the successes recorded in the country in the first 10 to 15 years after 1994, that 94 to 2007 period. And that is the key reason why the ANC retained its political majority in the country. Subsequent to that, or, or a polling showed that popular confidence in the future peaked into 2007. In the 2004 election, the ANC is three percentage points more powerful than when Mr. Mandela had led it a decade previously. In the decade to today, that has changed. We've interrupted the upward trajectory that South Africans were on, and we see the consequences in popular confidence in the future falling 40 percentage points to a level where last year one in three people believed the country is moving in the right direction, and a vast increase, 300 percent at least, in violent anti-government protest actions. In time, this will translate into changed voter choices, and to preempt that, the ruling party is starting to put itself into a position where, if necessary, it can erode civil rights. But the first step to the erosion of civil rights, an argument that's never made in the South African media, is, is the erosion of property rights. Another argument about why what is being done at the moment is so dangerous and can cause such extraordinary damage to the country. Indeed. You, 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 have, you have, just to, to make that point, you have no other rights without private property rights because, for example, you have no free speech if you have no private property rights. You cannot say this is my land and I will speak as I wish because it's not your land. It's the government this land. badly understood here. You have no if, intellectual property. because you no freedom you, of association. If, if, the, if the state can't take your stuff, it mm. cannot do anything else to you. Mm -hmm. It cannot intimidate you or tell you not to do something or mm -hmm. not to go somewhere because it doesn't have that power over you. Mm -hmm. And the proposal on the table, advanced by rights activists, if you can believe it, is to give away that power, give it straight back to the state. Mm. To, to give it to an, a competent state would be a terrible mistake. To give it to a generous state, to give it to the state that shot dead 30 mine workers at Lonman a few years ago and has yet to hold a single individual to account. To give is, it to a state that is, killed 180 mentally ill patients. And scores, I mean, the examples are all over. Scores of babies die in a hospital in the Eastern Cape because basic infection control procedures aren't in place. And the proposal on the table for us to consider as the country's people is whether we should give that state the power to take our property away. I think it, it – Yeah, it's insanity. It is insanity. But I want to talk – sorry, just once more. Um, a lot of people for some reason believe that uh, the ANC really wants a growing economy. And you stated on a on the on the Wall Street Journal podcast a few weeks ago that you know Zimbabwe to the ANC is not a failure. In well, Zimbabwe, what you see, sorry to interrupt, I'll just on to paraphrase. What you see in Zimbabwe is a revolutionary party, Zanu PF, that has destroyed everything it had in forty years, except for its own power, who destroyed property rights, made everyone poor, destroyed everything. Yet who still won two thirds majority of the vote in twenty eighteen. That's well, that, a success story. Uh, that's so important. People, we brief groups on trajectory, and one of the comments we get back now starts with the word surely. 
And they say to us, surely they won't, because it makes no sense. It's not logical. We won't get investment. That guy who said surely is in a very, very weak position because he has found it impossible to change the prism through which he views the world. To anticipate change, particularly in volatile emerging markets such as this one, you need to know what the other side's going to do before they know what they're going to do. You don't want to be taken by surprise. And the guy who said to me, surely we won't be like Zimbabwe because Zimbabwe is a terrible place. He doesn't see the world as some of our ideological adversaries do. When they look to Zimbabwe, they see ZANU-PF in charge, huge parliamentary majority, 37 years later, and that is the bottom line on success. No, the point made by a former Zimbabwean commentator now in New York, no liberation movement in Southern Africa that came to power through violent struggle has ever lost power. The MPLA in Angola, Swapo in Namibia, ZANU in Zim, Frelimo in Mozambique, and the ANC in South Africa. And when they, you must please have no doubt at all that there are influential individuals within the ANC who look to how those countries are governed and what they see is success. And if they get a, 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 into a position where they can become an increasingly dominant influence in that party, it follows there is no other conclusion to reach that South Africa can find itself in a perilous position. Indeed. The aspiration is Iran, not the United States. Oh, the good. aspiration is dictatorial control, not democracy. But this is why we need to fight the battle of ideas. No, indeed. We need to make clear that the balance of opinion is such that it will not even entertain the first steps into those types of societies. Mm. And the first step, you know what that is, takes us back to the question of property rights. When you fight the battle of ideas, inevitably... I'm finding the first pushback is an ad hominem. So uh, I won't talk about us. We receive lots of those. But uh, Gwen and Gwenya, who is the DAMP and the DA's head of policy now, uh, and a former deputy CEO, if I'm not mistaken, of the IRR, uh, she is being attacked quite heavily by the left-wing media, uh, for basically, they've basically taken away her agency. They say, you know, she's she's not really a black person who thinks this, because that couldn't be possible. Um, she couldn't be a liberal black person. Uh, no, no. Uh, she must be being controlled and being directed by individuals, including yourself. Yeah, let me deal with that directly. Great. Anyone who's read that, written that, or read it and believed it has never met Gwen. We brought her in as a deputy to me, and um, she's one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met, mm -hmm. hugely brave. She uh, took charge almost from day one, uh, firmly put me in my place on a number of occasions, explained quite clearly what was wrong with the organization, where we had failed over time, and famously once asked me what I one day wanted to achieve. Uh, <laughs> let, let me assure you that if Miss Nguyenia has an idea, it is Miss Nguyenia's idea, and no one will change that idea. And any suggestion to the contrary, it's not just stupid and racist, it reveals an extraordinary influence, ignorance of the individual herself, something that I think, if she persists with her political career, is, it will become well-known, uh, both within the political world and in the 
public at large. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, but, but no that, doubt. But she that, will that, be a that idea that she's being influenced is always parroted by um, very powerful white journalists, by the way, uh, in organizations that pride themselves on being diverse and representative of the country's demographic. And all these white journalists tend to do is to tell others to be BE compliant. Uh, whereas they themselves are not. It's a bit like the skin in the game scenario once again. These people have absolutely nothing to lose if their ideas are implemented. Yeah, it's the same uh, position with the sort of sociology professor living in Parkdown North who thinks that outside of Parkdown North you should dispossess property owners of their lives and livelihoods. It's the same thing. It's a crazy position to be in. You You become, let's say, an influential commentator perhaps a senior professor in a university, editor of a newspaper, and you use that platform to advocate for the fact that there are too many whites in senior positions and that this threatens the future of the country and that your group or platform or department or newspaper's line is that there should be less of them. We've never understood that about what, by all means, if you believe that, that's a legitimate view to hold then. But look in the mirror. Who are you? If you really genuinely believe that there are too many senior whites in the country, then why are you the head of your university department? And if you really believe it, the least we can expect of you as the readers of your platform is to step down from that platform to set right this terrible injustice. And some of them throw it at us and say, but, or throw it at me and say, but you're white and you're the CEO of a group. And I say, it's exactly the case. But I don't have a problem with that. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that we, you, that, that there's a, that it's perfectly legitimate to be white and successful in the country as it stands at the moment. That you're not the cause. Your success is not the cause of poverty or inequality or anything of that nature. But it's that same, there's not an English word, Afrikaans word is skein heilig. It doesn't really translate. There's, there's, there's not an English word that works to describe the immense internal contradiction of a, of a prominent white commentator standing up and saying there are too many prominent white commentators. It, it, it falls apart under the weight of its own contradictions, and it needs to be challenged and exposed for what it is. Absolutely. So when, when Europe had the immigration crisis a few years ago, uh, a good tactic on uh, by, by the right-wing Twitter trolls, France, the right-wing ones, uh, was to say… The Russian bots. Uh, yes, sorry, those they've been replaced by Russian bots. Celebrities went on about we need more immigrants into England, and people just said, okay, how many will you take in? you got these three mansions, uh, each can fit about 13 each. Do you agree to that? If you do, we agree with the, you. The, 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 there's the left and the right of the spectrum, and, and the right in, in the proper meaning of the word, the sort of conservative, classical, liberal side of the spectrum. And if, if I'm asked what's the difference between them, the first answer is internal contradictions. The relative right of the spectrum, the conservative side, the neocon, the alt-right, We'd call them classical liberals. They want other people to have the same life, the same choice-making capacity, the same uh, 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 power over the decisions they take, their life choices, as that they themselves have. And they advocate for policies that will allow relatively poor people to ascend into the middle classes 
the relative left of the discussion is fundamentally different. They want for the poor a life different to the life they themselves enjoy. They don't want that chap to move into Parktown North or to one day become a commercial Or send their kid to a nice private school. Or to send their kid to a nice private school. They want something else for that guy. And in that is a, is a terrible moral crisis that what you use your position to advocate for is a life less than the one that you yourself enjoy. The relative right of the spectrum fights very hard for policies that will free poor people to come to enjoy the life that South Africa's middle classes, upper middle classes, and so on have come to enjoy. And that is the fundamental difference between the two that must be set out long before any debate takes place about the merits of the argument, about how each side chooses to to realize the future they advocate. You make it quite binary. I enjoy that. Last thing. Afri Forum, which uh, seems to be I don't think they caught controversy, but it's like they can't say anything without being – they can literally say, oh, it's a lovely day outside today, and that will court controversy. So they, they, there was a list that went around of 139 farms, was well, it? There was 190 on that list. Okay. And the list was leaked from the Department of Land Reform, and the media – most of the media – roundly condemned AfriForum for releasing that list, stating that uh, it was irresponsible, that the list was not real, and that there was no reason to panic, and that we should, this was my favorite, we should be cool-headed about expropriation without compensation. Um, the IRR has come out, I assume, after doing some good research um, and having some in further information, and has said that list is Legitimate. So just give us a little well, bit of… Well, let's firstly change the context just a bit. Let's sure. say that the state said it was going to persecute the free press because they're an obstacle to progress and that uh, a, a minister said that a list of 139 journalists had been drawn up who would be detained and prohibited from practicing and that some journalists were able to obtain, and you guys are professional enough not to ask me more questions, a, a list and verified independently that these are individuals who had been discussed within a government department to be targeted for detention and to prohibit them from practice as journalists anymore, and that that list landed up in the hands of a, of a civil rights movement and they published it. Could you see that same community making the same arguments that it was irresponsible? And when the minister said, which she actually said that there was no list at all, that that's her comment. There can't be no list at all because a week previously the state had said there was a list of 139 that they wouldn't release. So she's lying off the bat yeah. to then be a journalist. And to say that despite that most obvious contradiction and, and the even more obvious one, that if you have a policy without expropriation and the president says you're going to action the policy, then how can you not have a list of targets that you can action the policy against? It, it falls apart in the most, the most Basic lightweight as, as a critique. It tears this thing to pieces. You would not get journalists saying it is very irresponsible to release this list that's causing tension and – and uh, the best thing to do is to believe the Minister of State Security when they tell us you've got nothing to worry about. We are not targeting you at all. 
it's you, you yeah. can't say anymore. Sorry, Do you need to interrogate this further? No, I think we're done. <laughs> I don't think so um, either. We do have to uh, wrap it up, though, unfortunately. Indeed. Always lovely chatting with you, Franz. Yeah, it's Frank. great to talk to you guys, and I'm getting one more word in here. Um, yes, And that is we it. need your help. We really do. Um, we will fight this fight as far as people allow us to do that. Small contributions make it possible. If you agree with what we've said today, you like what you've heard, you want to see more of it, SMS your name to 32823, and someone will give you a call or go to www.irr.org.za and click on join us and become part of the team and together we can win this thing. And dear listeners, if you have to choose between uh, joining Patreon for Renegade Report or joining the IRR, I think the IRR is a better choice. No, I'm going to tell you something else. I'm going to say you've got to join them all. There are so few of these groups out that are fighting. We're not after huge amounts. Mm. If you can put in what people on average are giving us is 83 rand a month. If you can afford to do that, you don't choose one over the other. You You back them all. You know, what I want uh, more than I, we do give out our Patreon occasionally, but more than that, if you listen to the podcast and you have a friend who doesn't or a family member who doesn't, all I want you to do is get them to start listening. Right. Or someone who trusts that the EWC is – you know, a political tool and not an actual policy. Um, people who are unaware of the dangers, uh, yeah. please do. Well, all of the things we discuss on the podcast, we've we've had a number of people we know who've started thinking about these things. It's not that they necessarily agree with all the all the notions that we put forward on the podcast, but these are ideas that are not being discussed. These are the things you're not hearing in the so-called mainstream media. And yeah. Get, uh, get your friends, get your family involved. Get them involved in uh, the politics as far as they want to be because it matters, as Franz has spoken to, and uh, because we need to spread the word about people becoming the vocal majority and not yeah. staying silent. Indeed. So if you are still here, stay tuned. There is actually two releases this week. Mm. Uh, so we felt it was important that Franz um, dictates a speech that he's been giving out around the country and it gives out a timeline and the various ideas around expropriation without compensation and how to deal with that. So we will see you next week, Mm. but the next release is France dictating his speech and France once again, thank you. And uh, yeah, Godspeed to all of us. Thank you to you all. Great. As always, you can find us on the various social media platforms. Uh, France, France is also on Twitter, uh, as is the IRR, um, at South Africa 2030. The IRR more than France. And France, and the IRR, which is, the, the at is IRR dot underscore org, if I'm not mistaken. And underscore South Africa, I think, but okay. we'll give you a, uh, uh, a link. Search it, sorry, I, I don't I have, have it on tw- I have a Twitter proxy. <laughs> Those who are enraged and fight with me, I'm afraid you're fighting with, uh, a, a, a colleague of mine who handles my account on my behalf. <laughs> Perfect. Lovely. As always, at Renegade underscore report, also on Facebook, the group and the page. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers.
This is CliffCentral.com.